This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we're in chapter 15. The world has been plagued with every kind of hatred since Adam and Eve sinned. There's open, bitter hostility. That's easy to spot. But there's also a kind of dismissal, the condescending assessment that others, particularly others that don't look like us or sound like us or vote like us, are obviously not as good as us. God has such a different view of humanity. He sees people, all people, as his creation. And he sees their needs and he cares. We'll see that today and we'll be challenged to have the same attitude towards people that Jesus did. My name is Brian Schmidt and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Follow along with me. We're going to read verses 29 through 39 and finish chapter 15. The text says this, Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. What we have here is the kindness and the compassion of Christ that transcend culture. I hope you picked up on that. Now, if we are to duplicate Christ and imitate Jesus, like Paul says we are to imitate him, then we need to pay attention to that and duplicate the same kind of compassion that will cross cultural barriers, language barriers, and all other kinds of barriers. First of all, what we see in this scene is the Christ that offers kingdom promises to the afflicted. That's what we have in verses 29 through 31. He is offering kingdom promises to the afflicted. Now remember, the previous scene, he ventured into Gentile territory outside of the known areas where the people of Israel lived to attend to the needs of the Samaritan woman. And now he's deeper into pagan territory, which would have made the disciples very nervous. So what Matthew shows us now is a sequel to the scene themed with the compassion of Christ for non-Jews. Now, we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew before Gentiles being reached by Christ, but now what we see is the first time that a multitude shows up in the scene, a multitude of Gentiles, and Christ is healing them. And again, although Jesus healed other Gentiles, this is the first time that a multitude of Gentiles are witnessing the divine power of Christ, the God-man in action. Matthew is including that to show 
precisely that Jesus loves outsiders and that he offers kingdom blessings to the afflicted no matter where they're from. You see, these are folks who were outside of the promises of Israel, just like that Canaanite woman. And these are folks who otherwise would have very little knowledge of any messianic prophecy. They were familiar, of course, with the Jews, but they were alienated from the promises of God. And what Matthew, a Jew, wants us to see is that Jesus Christ loves the whole world. Even though he came to the Jew first, he is now extending kingdom promises to the afflicted, no matter where they're from. In other words, the God of Israel is not a tribal deity. He is the creator of life who restores amputated limbs, silent vocal cords, and damaged eardrums. Those are the types of healings that Jesus is performing here. Mark gives us an example of what happened on that day. And I want you to see just a sample of that. This is one of those Thousands of miraculous healings that Jesus performed. Mark 7, verses 32 to 34. They brought to him one man who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Epphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began to speak plainly. And Jesus Christ healed those folks instantaneously, completely, and immediately to show that he has the power to do that, to show his divine nature, and to confirm that he is from the Father, according to what he says. But there's a second purpose of miraculous healings here is in the Gospels that we see. And they serve as a preview of the future bodily resurrection of believers. So every time, church, you read about a miracle in the Gospels, you are seeing a preview of what's going to happen in the kingdom of heaven when our bodies will no longer be subject to corruption, to decay, to disease, and to wearing out. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the heavenly is another. Paul continues, he says, For the perishable must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In other words, you and I will have a body one day if we are members of the kingdom of heaven, and that body will not be subject to disease or death. And that is the purpose of the miraculous healings of Jesus Christ, is to show a preview of what he is going to do with our bodies. Now, there's a third purpose now that we see in this particular scene here for the miracles of Jesus Christ, and that emerges from the text here, namely that Christ is the only one who brings healing to the nations, to borrow an expression from the book of Revelation 22, verse 2. And I say this because he's going outside now of the people of Israel. He is the one who provides healing to the nations. He offers the blessing of kingdom citizenship which guarantees an immortal body fit for heaven, free from disease. And he makes that offer to everyone, regardless of cultural background. Because, church, his saving grace reaches and transcends all ethnicities. There are no people groups that are outside of the grace of God. And he demonstrated that just prior to his ascension when he instructed the disciples in Acts 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus loves 
people from all over the world. So everybody who has ever been born is a candidate for receiving the gospel. And the offer of kingdom promises is to be made to everyone regardless of cultural background, regardless of the language they speak. He offers kingdom promises to Jews and Gentiles alike. That is what we're seeing here. But he also does that with Greeks and Romans. He also offers kingdom promises to North Americans and South Pacific inhabitants, Europeans and South Americans alike, Africans and Asians. And in the kingdom, you will rub shoulders with Canaanites, and you will also rub shoulders with glorified Incas, Mayas, and Aztecs. Did you know that? Resurrected Ninevites will serve the king alongside glorified folks from the Decapolis area here, who will co-labor with Israelites, Edomites, Moabites, and modern-day Salemites. Clearly, then, his saving grace transcends culture and time. The afflicted from every generation who come to him for kingdom blessings, a.k.a. salvation, will find it. No sinner will ever be turned away from Jesus Christ, and that's what he wants us to see here. Christ has a heart for the nations. Therefore, you and I must have a heart for the nations. If we want to align our hearts with the heart of Jesus Christ, if we want to be imitators of Christ, we must do everything we can, everything in our power to get the gospel to the nations, whether you go yourself, sent by the church, or you send someone. Because those of us who have received kingdom promises, what John calls grace upon grace in the prologue of his gospel, we must broadcast this offer to the entire world, whatever it takes. Now, we have the tremendous blessing in our generation to use technology for that, to get the gospel, to get the word out to the people of the world, because that is the heart of Christ, and he's demonstrating it very clearly here. Now, he's making his disciples nervous, but that's the point, because he wants to train them for cross-cultural ministry, because again, they were going to go and send to the nations, and they were going to lead the uh, early church. So in verse 29, Jesus sat down to rest from the long journey. But the predicament of the afflicted prompted his compassionate heart. So let's not miss that. He wanted to rest. That's why you sit down, especially after a long journey. He interrupts his time off to serve people. And again, that's a great lesson. If we want to imitate Christ in everything we do, people are more important than ministry. Did you know that? Because ministry is a tool to get to people, not the other way around. The problem is when we flip-flop those and we use people in order to accomplish ministry. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is using ministry to reach people. So he goes to a place to rest, and people start coming to him. What, what does he do? He doesn't say, well, go away. I need to rest here. I'm on my day off. You know, call me later. That's not what he's doing. And what a lesson for us, church. If we claim to follow him, the needs of the afflicted will likewise prompt compassion in us, no matter the day, even if it's on a Sunday morning, even if it's on your day off. The difference, however, is that we cannot fix people's problems. You and I are not able to fix people's emotional problems, physical or spiritual problems. But here's what we can do. We can introduce them to the one who will take care of their greatest problem, their greatest need, that is admittance to the kingdom of heaven, by grace through faith. So again, if we want to imitate Christ... If we want to align our hearts with his heart, what do we do, church? We ask him for compassion for people. People are never a distraction. People are never an inconvenience for us. People are there for us to give them compassion, to give them the ministry of kindness and love. Look at verse 31. The Gentiles here glorified the God of Israel because they saw the God-man in action. 
They seem to have understood what Jesus later told one of his disciples. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. That's in John 14 verses 10 through 11. So they understood the works of Christ provided evidence that he is in the Father and that the Father is in him. So they, they believe the words and the works of Christ. So next time somebody tells you that he needs to see miracles before they will come to Jesus Christ or before they will glorify the God of Israel, show him this scene. I said, you don't need more miracles because there's plenty of them here. You want to see a miracle? Let me read you the scene and, and believe in the works of Christ from what's already been revealed. Which teaches us the next point here. We saw, first of all, that Jesus' kindness and compassion transcend culture. He offers kingdom promises to the afflicted. But now I want you to see, according to verses 32 through 39, he offers kingdom privileges to the alienated. See, again, he's offering people the privilege of coming to his kingdom. And these are not the people of Israel. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, some critics of the Bible look at this second feeding of the multitudes here. And they love to claim that Matthew got a little confused. He's mixing up the two accounts, they say. But obviously, that's nonsense. Because all you need to do is keep reading the text to understand that these are two different feedings. And let me give you some of those evidences. So, the first one took place in Jewish territory. This one clearly takes place in Gentile land, pagan land. The first one produced 12 baskets of leftovers. This one produced seven and by the way, Matthew even used different words to describe baskets. But John provides an important detail here that settles the case by pointing out that Jesus rebuked the first group. See, there's no evidence that Jesus rebuked this second group here. But in the first group, he says this, according to John 6, verses 26 to 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. So according to the, the Gospel of John, the first multitude missed the point entirely. Again, and this is what prompted Jesus to venture into pagan territory. Now, Matthew wants us to see the bread of life, even though this particular multitude here had very little knowledge of that analogy. Because their ancestors weren't a part of the generation that received the manna from heaven. I'm sure they knew about it, but not from generational experience. And because Jesus warns that first multitude to not miss the point, let us not miss the point either. See, Jesus supplies our every need. Paul confirms that in Philippians 4 verse 19 when he says, My God will supply your every need. So that, that, there's no question about that. The problem is for us, we, we tend to confuse needs and wants. Why we disagree with God sometimes with what we need. But he will always provide for us. He will always take care of our needs. But Jesus has no interest in being the glorified problem solver. Did you know that? Because he has given us intelligence to figure things out, to solve problems. Paul confirms this. Here's the purpose of Jesus being in the picture here. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost most of all. First Timothy 1 verse 15. So here it is. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And here is he's demonstrating that he's able to do that because he is putting his divinity on display. Yes, he will feed you. He'll take care of your needs. But he can do so much more. 
He grants people entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He gives people kingdom privileges on the basis of saving faith. And here's how he illustrates that. Look at verse 32. These thousands of Gentiles remained with Christ for three days, which means they apparently considered Jesus' company more important than physical sustenance. And Jesus felt compassion of them. And the word that Matthew used to describe what Jesus felt here is he is describing a feeling that you have in the bowels. So your stomach is churning when you see somebody in trouble. What Jesus is saying is this, I am hurting for them. My stomach is churning because I am concerned for their well-being. I don't want them to faint on the way. Now, nobody would die if they don't eat for three days. The problem is they were weak because they haven't eaten for three days. So on the way back, Jesus, knowing of their needs, says, I am compassionate of them. So that feeling that Jesus has, the turning of your stomach that prompts you to act, it's accompanied by the desire to take care of the need. That is divine compassion. So if we say we have compassion on people, if we really want to say that we are imitating Christ or what we're feeling is aligning with Christ, it's not just, hey, I feel compassion for you, good luck. That's not the case. Divine compassion, if we really want to imitate Christ, is, man, your problem is my problem. Let me take care of that for you. Let me help you lift that burden for you. What can I do to take care of your need? That is what Jesus is demonstrating here. But I want you to see the contrast here in verse 33. The disciples share a different type of concern. Now, you may be thinking at this time, wait a minute. These guys just witnessed the miraculous feeding of 5,000, not even a chapter ago. But not only that, they are watching Jesus Christ heal people miraculously. That would have been a reminder for them. Oh yeah, Jesus can do that. So their question here, where should we get food, is not prompted by ignorance. It's prompted by discomfort. They don't want to feed Gentiles. They don't want to be identified with non-Jews. They not only don't want to be identified with them, they don't want to serve them. Now, In chapter 14, they did not mind serving their fellow Jews. In this chapter here, Jesus is now finally stretching them. You really want to follow me? Well, we're going to feed people that you are normally uncomfortable being around. Sharing a meal with unclean and religiously defiled people. Because again, according to the Pharisaical system, Gentiles were by nature unclean and defiled just by the fact of being. And for the disciples, all of whom were Jews here, sharing a meal with them would cause them to be unclean and defiled. In other words, they would lose points with the Pharisees and they were terrified of that prospect. John provides an example of what might cause their hesitation in John 12 verses 42 through 43. He says this, many, even the rulers, believed in him, meaning believed in Christ. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. See, Jesus Christ is concerned for the physical needs of that crowd. The disciples are concerned for their own needs of being approved by men. And that is the reason why they hesitated. But again, Jesus has to train them how to make disciples of every nation because that's cross-cultural ministry. And in order to accomplish his purpose, he needed to get them out of their comfort zone, put them in a situation that their faith would be stretched. Now, what that teaches us then, church, is that we need to prioritize the approval of God over the approval of men, whatever it takes. See, these guys were being afraid of being put out at synagogues 
And we understand sometimes we're afraid of being put out of the cool kids club or whatever. It will be being put out of the, the elite. But again, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, we have to reach people the way he did. And like he did with the disciples, he will do the same with you. He will put you in situations that will stretch your faith. You will be put in uncomfortable situations if you want to follow him, if you want to ask him to give you a heart of compassion like his heart. So think of people you would hesitate to share the gospel with, whoever they are. Jesus offers kingdom privileges to them too because he died for them. He died to bring them to the kingdom as well. And again, they will come to the kingdom if they respond to the message that you preach to them. Why? Because Jesus is a friend of sinners, regardless of culture and background. You see, there is no one, church, that is outside of the reach of God's grace. So knowing that, we need to make sure that we get the gospel to people that are different than us. We need to be okay with sharing Christ with people that look different from us, that sound different from us, vote different from us, if we really want to imitate the heart of Christ, the compassion and the kindness of our majestic Savior that transcends culture. What a good way, really, to illustrate cross-cultural disciple-making for them. Then now, the image of serving food to Gentiles. You, you, you produce disciples of Christ by serving people. Now, just like the original disciples, we come up with all kinds of excuses when we are confronted with the fact that Jesus expects us to serve people. Jesus expects you and me to serve other people. Did you know that? And this is a great example, an image of that here. But we come up with all kinds of excuses. I've come up with all of them. For example, we say, Jesus, I don't have the resources. That's what the disciples say. Well, where are we going to get food? In other words, I don't have the resources to do what you're calling me to do. As if the lack of resources has anything to do with his capability. As if our lack of resources could ever derail his purposes. And that's the lesson here that our lack of resources will never be a hindrance for what Christ wants to accomplish. Now look at verse 34 here. Anytime you, you see Jesus asking a question, I want you to know he's not asking for information. When he says, how many loaves do you have? He already knew that, I guarantee you. He already had that information. He's asking that question, again, not because he needs information, but because he needs the disciples to articulate their lack of resources, their dependence on him. And again, the lesson is unmistakable. If we're going to serve Christ, we must recognize our limitations. We must recognize, say, Lord, I recognize I can't do it. But that's a great opportunity because it's an opportunity for you, Lord, to accomplish what you want in and through me because your power is made perfect in weakness. So we know that God expects every Christian to offer the kingdom to unbelievers. But you say this, God, I'm not a theologian. I can't share the gospel with anyone. And by the way, isn't that why we pay the pastor? No, friend, if you can speak, you can do what God wants you to do. If you can write, you can do what God wants you to do. If you can sign language or communicate with smoke signals, you can do what God wants you to do. You can share the gospel. And then use that and watch God multiply your lack of resources for his honor, for his glory, because that is what he's doing here. So let me ask you a question. You know, because I've preached many, many times about this before, and I've shown you from Scripture several times that if you are a believer in Christ, God expects you to make other believers by sharing the gospel with them, by embracing them, by being compassionate to them. Why do you hesitate? Is it fear? You fear that you're not going to have the answers? 
Is it apathy? You don't care about where they're going to spend eternity? Is it pride? See, I don't talk to those folks. Or is it rebellion? You say, Lord, you told me to do this, but I'm going to do that instead. Whatever your reason is for not doing what God wants you to do, just bring that limitation to him and watch him multiply the resources that you lack for faithful service. But what we saw here is the kindness of Christ and the compassion of Christ that transcend culture. He offers kingdom promises to the afflicted and he offers kingdom privileges to the alienated. That's what we have here in this scene. Let me share with you three thoughts and then we'll close. Thought number one here. Jesus meets the needs of people. You can't heal anyone, but you can meet someone's need in the name of Christ, can't you? And demonstrate compassion and kindness. Number two, here's a second thought. Do you know people who are alienated from God now because they're not born again believers? Then tell them how Jesus can satisfy their hungry souls. Talk to them about the bread of life, the only one who can satisfy the hungry souls. And thirdly, do you have a broken relationship with a brother or a sister in Christ? If so, how about you attempt to reach out and say, we will share a place at the Lord's table in heaven. We might as well share a table now and celebrate our reconciliation era, mutual forgiveness. How about that? If you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. If you want to imitate the heart of Christ, if you want to line up with his heart, you need to be okay with reaching people from other cultures because that is what Jesus Christ is doing here. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.